You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep-voiced person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We're coming to you live from the headquarters of the Office of Cable TV, Film, Music, and Entertainment, which is also the historic headquarters of Black Entertainment Television, so it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the Council. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media, at Council of D.C. If you don't follow us already, please don't do so immediately. It's okay, I'll wait. Thanks. Here at the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communications. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the Council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the D.C. Council is just like your workplace, except with the dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You'll learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution. So without any further ado, let's turn to our guest today, Award 3's Mary Che. Thanks for joining us, Council Member. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being generous with your time. Thank you. Uh, now, in this first round of interviews, we're kind of sticking with biographical, getting getting to know you kind of stuff, because a lot of folks don't don't know as much about you guys as they should. Uh, so, or maybe they know too much. May, they may know too much. By the end of the half hour, they'll definitely know too much. Uh, so, tell me a little bit about you. Where you grew up? You grew up in New Jersey, mm-hmm. I believe. Yes. Um, I grew up in a part of New Jersey some while ago that was actually um, quite rural. Uh, we had a rural delivery pickup where you go get your mail, okay, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but it was, um, in one sense, idyllic because I was blessed with um, my everyday experience was, you know, running in the woods and um, spending time with animals and having a great nature experience that was just part of my life. And, and that plays a little against type for people who only know New Jersey from the turnpike. No, exactly right. So it, it, it might just be something that's a surprise to people. But uh, again, we're talking some some time ago. And even during my childhood, um, uh, it was kind of heartbreaking for me because the woods where I did play a lot, you know, and got turtles and frogs and all these other things, um, it was already happening that these things were being cut down and, and, and houses being put in, but um, but much of my, my time there was uh, rural. I had the exact same uh, situation in Montgomery County where I grew up, that the woods where I would go and look mm-hmm. for turtles, exactly like you're saying, right. is now a giant development. Yeah. So it's, it's happening everywhere. Now, do you feel that the, the, there's a lot of uh, baggage that comes with the word New Jersey? Do you think that that helps you? Because people prefigure you as someone who has, you know, a bit of an attitude and a good head on her shoulders? Or uh, that actually, I never, I never thought of that uh, as from the perspective of what might people 
take away from that, but I am familiar with the expression, which is supposed to be an insult, but I think of it as a compliment, which is you can take the girl out of New Jersey, but you can't take New Jersey out of the girl. Um, I, I'm very uh, proud of uh, having lived there. Uh, I did leave there at a fairly early age when I was an adult, but, um, you know, I come from an <clears throat> extremely modest uh, background, uh, extremely modest. Um, my father worked, working people is what we were, and, um, you know, but he, he came from Hungary, uh, so I'm first generation, and he worked in a, a company, you know, just like a, a a wage earner, that's all. He died early because they didn't have all of these protections for people, and he dealt with uh, filling oil tanks uh, with oil, and I'm sure the fumes uh, were responsible for his early death. Um, but even as you know, someone who came from another country, he served in uh, World War II. Um, my brother served in uh, the Vietnam War. All of my uncles served either in the Korean War or some some event like that. So, um, although it was very modest, uh, and you know, my brother was a truck driver, uh, that sort of thing. Um, my my sister's husband was a police officer. He was killed in the line of duty. All of them have uh, had an ethic of serving their country, and so. Um, Again, though it was very, very, very modest uh, background, it was um, it was one uh, that I'm I'm proud of the people in my family for for their service. Absolutely, that's quite a record. That's quite a combination. Mm -hmm. It's been interesting doing these interviews with the different council members to see just how recent their. Uh, uh, current status is that mm -hmm. it's generally these are not folks that come from a long line of white collar uh, professionals. So it's it's kind of a, a microcosm of the American dream. Well, actually, you know, it's really stunning to me, and I, I'm always I always have to you know hit my forehead and think about how how lucky I've been. Um, you know how people say they're the first in their family to go to college. I'm the first in mine to get a high school diploma, uh, so that. Uh, the distance to travel there, you can't get there by yourself. And uh, all along the way, typically teachers, I had people who would have um, confidence in me or faith in me and, you know, encourage me and so on. So um, I sit here and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm always astounded, you know, uh, that, that I'm actually here. Yeah, it's I basically my entire job is an elaborate ruse to come up with trivia questions for okay. Twitter on Fridays, and <laughs> okay. you bringing up that uh, you're the first um, in your family to graduate high school. I don't think you're the first. I think there's a couple other council members who have mentioned the same thing to no, me. No, no, I don't mean that. I mean in my family. Oh, you know that's what I'm saying. Yes, Others that yeah. were the first in yeah, their family, right. um, um, so, and whose parents didn't. Uh, Again, I, I find it um, amazing, astounding, uh, not only that I'm here, but also that, uh, you know, I'm, I, I serve on the council and I've been uh, elected more than once. Uh, again, it's a, it's a journey where I, you know, I have to always say, wow, that's kind of amazing. It is kind of amazing. Now, that's the, the first I'd heard of, of you having Hungarian heritage. Is, mm -hmm. is that something that resonates a lot with you? Well, you know, uh, I, I was Irish on my mother's side and Hungarian on my father's side, and it's often said it combined the two most stubborn ethnicities, and I, probably true. Um, not so much. Uh, you know, we were sort of, 
my brother and I in particular were sort of foolish when we were young. My father would try to teach us Hungarian, Mm -hmm. uh, but we didn't want to know of it because we didn't want to reveal that we weren't fully American or something like that. So um, I do regret it now, of course, but uh, so it wasn't that we rejected it. It's just that, you know, we didn't want to make that, uh, you know, a principal part of our identity. Right. Right, and we all learned on the schoolyard anything that distinguishes you is a potential weapon to right. uh, to the others. Yes, um, but uh, music or food or any of that play a part, or well, um, sure, we would have Hungarian dishes, and but I mean, but we weren't, you know, dancing around to Hungarian <laughs> music uh, as far as I remember. Um, but in any case, uh, I, you know, I. Um, um, I'm proud of that heritage, but again, I didn't uh, explore it enough when I should have, and uh, I sort of regret that. Yeah, no, that's a classic kid yeah. error, I yeah. think. I, I can sort of, uh, that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Now, the, either your family or the folks around where you grew up, what did they think of D.C.? You mentioned kind of how far you've come. What did people think of D.C. as a place back then, or did it not even exist in their minds? <laughs> they didn't think of the District of Columbia at all, so far as I could tell. I mean, um, it was day-to-day living, uh, you know, paycheck-to-paycheck living, and uh, the idea of thinking about these more, you know, global or national things, it it just didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a a world apart. Um, Now, I was also interested in seeing that that prior to your time on the council, or also maybe overlapping with it, you did a decent amount of work abroad, and that wasn't something I associated with your your past history. I I jotted down from your bio some of the countries, Mm -hmm. uh, Tajikistan, Bosnia, Kosovo, South Africa. Talk a little bit about that. Well, those countries uh, typically were interested in moving from uh, a Soviet-style government and economy to um, something more like uh, democracy and also capitalism. And so uh, they would often ask for experts in various areas, typically in law, which I'm in, uh, to uh, come over and talk to them about how they would make that transition. And so I... uh, was pleased to do that, uh, and so I did that with some of those countries. In some of the other cases, for example, when I taught at Trinity College in, in Ireland, that was just to have a, uh, a comparative um, opportunity to think about criminal procedure and criminal law. But um, in the other countries, it was part of this transition. Gotcha. Also, <laughs> another fact I didn't realize about you is you are a licensed soccer referee. Yes, I am. Yes, yes, I am. Well, actually, that little bit of uh, information explains in part how I got onto the council. Okay, I'd love to hear. Yes, that. how? What? What? What could that connection be? Well, um, I coached uh, the former councilwoman's daughter in soccer. Kathy Patterson's daughter was on a soccer team that I coached, and while she was on the council. Uh, and I would be coaching. She would come to the games uh, from time to time, fairly often, actually. And uh, she knew I was a lawyer, and she had the Judiciary Committee, and she, she's not a lawyer. So she was always asking me this, that, or the other thing, or could I do um, a favor, pro bono service, what have you. And that's how I came to know her and a little bit about the council, not very much. But then... Uh, at some point, when she was heading the Judiciary Committee, she uh, 
called me in my office at, uh, I teach at GW Law School. She called me and said that there was this uh, investigation into the police and how they handled a certain uh, set of demonstrations, Pershing Park and so on. Right. And she wanted to be part of that lawsuit. And I explained to her that she couldn't be part of the lawsuit because she had no standing. I said, but if it goes on appeal, you can always file an amicus brief or something like that. And then after I hung up, I thought, you know, every legislative body, every legislative body that I'm familiar with always has some way to have an investigation from the legislature's perspective. So I looked up the rules and I called her back and I said, you know, you can't be part of the lawsuit, but what you can be is somebody who runs a legislative investigation. And she got very excited and then she decided to do it. Then she asked me, would I help her run it? And she was going to get one lawyer to do a lot of the uh, depositions and that sort of thing. And I was going to be sort of the, the legal theory person behind everything. Well, that other person decided to drop out. And so I did the whole thing. I tell you this because it was the first time I ever really had any connection close up with what the council did. And not only did I conduct the, the hearings, I must have deposed the entire top echelon of the police. But later, it led to legislation being adopted. And I was very impressed with that. Now, file that away. A couple of years later, she decides to run for council chair. Right. I'm still not making any connection to myself. But because I was there yet again doing some pro bono thing for her, uh, for the Judiciary Committee, one of her uh, uh, people said, you know, you really ought to run for this job. You'd be great at it. And I said, don't be ridiculous. Uh, no. I but it, it planted the seed, and then um, it's almost preposterous that I was elected, really, because I had no, I had no base. I didn't serve on any prior ANC or have anything to do with the council. I, and in fact, you know, it's probably true I couldn't have named every council member at the time. Um, but I, but I decided to, to try it because I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe I could do some good. And that's the connection way back. Through, to soccer, soccer coaching, mm -hmm. and, and were there any lessons you learned through through uh, coaching or, or refereeing soccer that uh, carry forward today about fair play or? Uh, well, did, you, you know, I coached the little ones. You okay, know, and um, it was it was always an adventure. Um, for example, I can remember the the refs coming over and saying, uh, "Coach," I said, "Yes." I said, "Are you aware that one of your?" Uh, uh, players has left the field and is over there on that jungle gym you know <laughs> things like that um but uh yes i um i was struck by by these uh players they were they were competitive they wanted to play they had a really great time uh but they weren't all caught up in uh, a kind of um we have to win or anything like that to the point where once I was driving a bunch of them home, and one of them asked me, they said, Coach, did we win? <laughs> they didn't even know that they had won. Um, in any case, so uh, the lessons I, I got from that, you know, I, I, I love uh, kids, and I love to interact with them, um, my, own, my own kids uh, as well, of course, but uh, it's, it's a great joy to me uh, to be involved that way. And so, again, one of the reasons, you know, that I was happy to, to pursue this is because I wanted to have some opportunity, especially at the time, we're talking like about 12 years ago now, um, 
maybe to better our schools because they were uh, crumbling, you know, the buildings were terrible. Um, my own children, they went to Merch Elementary, which is a um, uh, part of the, uh, the public school system. But thereafter, I sent them to private school because uh, now we celebrate Alice Deal Junior High, uh, middle school rather, as the best, you know. But at the time, it, it may have been one of the worst, uh, and, and the high school and so on. It seemed to me there's an awful lot of room for improvement there, and uh, that that might also get me, uh, you know, involved with young people. So, because prior to that, you were more involved in in uh, politics or government uh, from a national level, right? Right. That's right. right. Yeah. So. Right, and I, you know, I uh, I served on uh, various committees, but they were at a, a broader level. Um, for example, one of the ways I came to know. Uh, now Justice Ginsburg, is that there was a committee uh, of the D.C. Court of Appeals that was looking into uh, matters of gender in the criminal justice system and other aspects of the um, judicial system. And uh, she was also on that committee. Gotcha. Um, and because pe people wonder, you know, one of the things that's sort of surprising is that every time you're sworn in, um, you have to go get a judge. You call up a judge, they will you swear me in. And um, I just sent a note over to Justice Ginsburg. I said, Justice Ginsburg, could, could you swear me in? And she said, yeah. I think my calendar's clear that day. And she came over and swore me in. It was like, <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, but so it's funny how you, you know, you make these connections, like either through soccer or through a committee. But to your question about these other things that I served on, they did have a more national uh, perspective. And so when I did run for council, one of the reasons why I say it's surprising is because I had no base, I had no um, uh, local connections as such, and um, I still have to figure out how it happened. I'm sure it'll come to you eventually. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, now, as someone who is in the business of training lawyers, mm -hmm. do you think lawyers make better council members? I don't know about better council members, uh, though I am partial to, to people who are lawyers because, after all, we're in the lawmaking business, so, you know, to have right. that training is quite good. But I do hire uh, lawyers for my staff, and I find that, uh, especially, of course, the legislative staff, I find that uh, they do a very good job, and so I'm always looking Anybody out there, hello, uh, if you're uh, still looking for a job and you're a lawyer, um, send a resume to my office. But uh, I do think, because we're in the business of lawmaking, that having that kind of legal training is helpful. Yeah, it's one of my hobbies is trying to figure out what makes a good council member. You mm -hmm. know, there's some who are former ANC commissioners, some that are former council staff, right. some that come from totally outside, some mm -hmm. are lawyers, some mm -hmm. aren't lawyers. And that that's an interesting question because... Like you said, I mean, of our past judiciary chairs, Kathy Patterson and uh, Chairman Mendelson, mm -hmm. are not lawyers. But and I currently, think, Charles Charles Allen is not yeah, either. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. No, that's a valid point. I, but I, I feel like you could almost give them an honorary law degree because I, I mean, it's a compliment that yes, they yeah. have very rigorous legal minds. So. Right. Well, you, it's certainly not a, a requirement. I think the requirements are that you know you be um, you have to have obviously a certain amount of uh, intelligence. You have to have commitment, and I think um, you have to have a, a good dose of compassion to want to do a good job on behalf of other people. So if you can bring that all that together and you don't have a JD, you're fine. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. 
Um, now, again, as a professor, if you were teaching a class on the D.C. Council, what, what do you think people need to know and don't know? What's, what's the best way to get up to speed on the, how the council works? Well, actually, I do interject things about the council and the District of Columbia in my course. Uh, I teach criminal procedure, and I also teach constitutional law. Mm-hmm. And so, in many ways, uh, they, they do have overlaps. For example, I've written law review articles about things that it took me to get on the council to enact as a law. So Mm -hmm. there's that. But I tell the students, I want to explain to them the very unusual situation of the District of Columbia under the Constitution, because Congress is given in the Constitution the authority to control everything we do. And the only reason why we have a council and a mayor and all the rest of this is because Congress passed a law, the Home Rule Act, that allows us to do that. But at any time Congress wants to interfere, it can. I think students ought to know that, and I want them to think about that. So I I do bring it up from time to time. But also, when we do take up issues on the council, uh, sometimes they relate directly to what we may be doing in class. Sometimes on the council, I do have to say something to my colleagues. They may not realize that a direction that they're moving in raises constitutional issues. So it actually goes both ways, from class to the council, council to class. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, let's talk a little bit about the ward. Just out of curiosity, I Googled the expression Tony Ward 3 with the use of Tony as an adjective uh-huh. and a ton of references Tony lives came there. Up. There are yeah. probably a number a lot of, of Tonys. them. <laughs> what do people not know about Ward 3? I, I think Ward 3 is, is too easily stereotyped. It, it may be, and maybe what I'm talking about is also a stereotype, but I'm, I'm going to offer it. Um, you know, when there's comparison, you know, about uh, parts of the district that are low income or, you know, struggling, there it, there's always a comparison t- to Ward 3. Uh, but what people may not appreciate about the people in Ward 3, from my experience, is that even though they may be in a, a, a higher income group, there's an enormous amount of sensitivity to people who are in low-income groups. Um, they're very uh, liberal and reform-minded. They, uh, they want to reach out to other people and assist them. I, I do think it's the, um, it's the embrace of Ward 3 of anyone's issues if they think that they can help. That may not be explained well enough in an expression, Tony Ward 3. Uh, I know enough about my uh, residents to know how uh, compassionate they are. So I'd like that to be on the record. Right. They're not all walking around in spats with monocles, yeah. and yeah. Uh, yes. as Tony Ward 3 yes. might imply. Now, speaking of Tony Ward 3, um, a bit of a bone to pick. You have been traditionally the sense of humor of the council. Uh, you write your annual budget memo that oh, yes. is quite well received. <laughs> um, and then I showed up, and I have a bit of a sense of humor. And do you think there's room for two senses of humor on the council? I think we should have a humor off. A, a humor off. Yeah, and the, just kind of go at it that way. Th- there's a number of council members who actually are humor off. Like, <laughs> the switch is well, on know, off. Well, you know, I got them. a nice compliment the other day. This uh, woman said to me, she said, your, your hearings are so funny. Now, somebody would ordinarily take objection to that to think like, oh, I don't have a serious hearing. But she, I think, meant it well that, you know, it's it's lightened up by kind of the dialogue. Right. Yes. It's the, as I said earlier, it's the Mary Poppins school that people are more inclined to tune in if they think it's going to be a little light. Right. 
and I think you and I both fall sometimes into the the dad joke uh-huh. category <laughs> uh, that, that people do love. They make fun of it, but uh, they do love it. Um, now, uh, from a policy standpoint, I think you more than anyone else on the council focus on food issues, uh, you know, healthy food in the schools, uh, in the rec centers during the summer, food policy council. Are you a foodie personally? Actually, no, uh, not at all. (laughs) But uh, when I was first on the council, I did go around to the various schools and there would be, you know, um, assemblies or some such thing. And for the first time, I don't know why it was the first time, but I started noticing that even our children uh, were overweight and the more, you know, when your eyes are open, the more you see. And so I decided, which is typically what I do, I said, I'm going to do something about that. And so uh, it finally led to the Healthy Schools Act and the matter about nutrition. But it's more than just that. Um, my Healthy Schools Act has lots of pieces to it, one of which is uh, school gardens and other environmental aspects. Because the other thing that I see is that children today are sort of estranged from the earth and that that's not a healthy thing. Uh, for example, I went to Janney Elementary School uh, one day just idly and I had lunch with the students there and one of the side dishes was whipped sweet potatoes. Now this is fantastic. Those students planted those sweet potatoes, harvested those sweet potatoes and then they ate them as a side dish for lunch. That to me told me that my Healthy Schools Act, if nothing else, was at least working to connect them back to their food. So um, it was what I began to see. And then the more I saw of it, and the more I realized that there is uh, food insecurity in the district, um, access to good food, healthy food, uh, again, connection back to the earth where your food comes from, it just kind of snowballed, and, and I, I, I have made, I hope, some improvement, uh, you know, across the board. And with some of the kids, I've been working really hard to make sure there are no gaps. They get, everybody gets free breakfast, right? And other kids will also get lunch and even after school meals. When school's over, I want them to be able to transition to whatever it is that's available at DPR, public uh, the recreation, um, but also there could be gaps there. There could be gaps on weekends. There could be other gaps. I want to make kids know that they'll have food no matter what every day if they need it. And so slowly, uh, I, I think I've been able to, to put that together. Yeah, I mean, D.C. notoriously doesn't close school easily, and I think a lot of people don't realize that part of that, at least, is kids won't, there's a number of kids that won't eat right. if they're not at school. Do you know, we, and again, uh, little things, like in the bill, I said that kids, you know, if they come from uh, certain areas where there's high, uh, you know, free or reduced lunch, et cetera, they could not only, everybody gets free breakfast, but kids could have breakfast in the classroom. And initially, um, there was some pushback from that. Oh, it's going to be messy, you know, this and that, et cetera. A couple months after it was instituted, I didn't hear anything. No peeps. Do you know why? Because when kids had something to eat, they were ready to learn. They weren't jumping off the ceiling. They weren't, you know, misbehaving. Teachers found out that that was actually a benefit. So even if you just turn things a little bit, you can have a big influence on a kid's life. Absolutely. 
Uh, well, unbelievably, the half hour has gone very quickly. We have a traditional closing uh, questions wait, that we like wait, to ask. Wait, I have to stop now? It, we oh. can keep going. They just won't record it. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so as you may remember, uh, James Lipton from Inside the Actors Studio, in an homage to Bernard Pivot of the seminal program Apostrophe. I have would, no idea what you're talking about. I, that, that's the point. Okay. Um, would ask all guests the same 10 thought-provoking questions. I will not be asking those questions. Instead, please rank in order of preference for you the following five dessert categories. Cake, candy, cookies, ice cream, or pie. Rank them from top to bottom. And I've been doing this for year at dinner, years at dinner parties. Okay, can I have a question though yes, first? Yes, you can. But if I say cake, I mean, it could be the cake that I dis want. You know, it wouldn't be like any old cake, right? Right. It, it would be the ice cream flavor I wanted. It would be everything perfect. Sure. In the category. Sure. Okay. okay. We'll stipulate that, uh, okay. counselor. So I will go for cookies, then cake, hmm, then um, hmm, ice cream. Okay. Cookies, cake, ice cream. Pie and candy. Gotcha. Understood. Understood. Yeah, it's the pie people who make me nervous. If you put why, pie why? first on it, and it's it's just that to me it's not a dessert. To me it's a it's fruit. It's decorated fruit. It's lovely, but it's just not a dessert. Well, you don't eat it properly. You you have per, to see. I, I you were making me choose like in a in a rank order, but I could have mm -hmm. said pie with ice cream. Right. right. Yeah, and that would change it for you, wouldn't it? Mm, kind of. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you shouldn't be rigid about this. You should allow mix and match. It, it, it's true. It's a new mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, you know, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll do a, a combo round uh, okay. for, for second interviews. Like, uh, for example, when you have ice cream, you sometimes have crumbled cookies, and you can even have little pieces of candy on it. And, in fact, with the ice cream, you could have probably everything that's on the list. It's true. A previous yes. council member actually had three of them in his car at the time I interviewed him, which I oh. thought was particularly impressive. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, well, sadly, now we're really out of time. Okay. So um, thank you again so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you. Uh, and uh, listeners, please tune in again next time. We're at DC Radio, which you can listen to at 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. Thanks again. Uh, take care. Bye-bye.